Good morning. I'm Michael Flake, uh, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love. We can also spread God's love to one more person. If, uh, if you have not gotten to be here with us much or not much during the summer, you need to remember the, our mantra for the summer. Summers at Davidson Elementary School are a laugh a minute. So today is like an actual obstacle course to get to the church uh, service. So well done, you made it through, Ninja Warrior style. We'll see what awaits us next week. If you think, oh, I bet they call them ahead of time and tell them, nope, nope, nope. It's just, and you know this, if you work for the school system, like in the summers, you just got to get some stuff done. And so that's kind of what happens. And every Sunday we show up and we flex with it, and that's what we do. So it's a good, it's a good thing. And uh, the school is very good to us. The, uh, I want to start off today uh, with an Abraham Lincoln quote. Have you ever noticed how many quotes get attributed to Abraham Lincoln? Uh, for instance, I found a quote that really sums it up for me. It says, since his death, Abraham Lincoln has had all kinds of quotes attributed to him. Do you know who said that? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, that's right. Uh, this is an actual Lincoln quote, though, and I did my research. It's an actual Lincoln quote. It was actually shared at his funeral. A minister at his funeral shared this story about him. He said that during the Civil War, someone had remarked to Lincoln that he hoped God was on the Union's side. You may have had that kind of expression, whatever, I hope God's on my side and whatever. They hoped God was on the Union's side. Lincoln's response was, I give no concern to whether the Lord is on our side. I give no concern to whether the Lord is on our side. It is my constant anxiety and prayer to be on the Lord's side. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you reframe a discussion. Textbook. And it's kind of my point for today, uh, which is as much as we want to say, well, is God on my side on this or not? God, God's not ready to jump on or off Michael Flake's bandwagon right? The, the, the truth is God is doing something in this world, and the main point for today is let's join in with what God is doing. Let's cooperate with what God is doing instead of trying to stand in the way of it. We're in the middle of a series of sermons on living by faith based on Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And then what the chapter does is it goes on to name person after person from the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that predates the earthly ministry of Jesus, person after person from the Old Testament who lived by faith. Living by faith means trusting the unseen God, especially His good character and redemptive plan. Trusting the unseen God, especially His good character and redemptive plan. So, so you and I come to believe that there is a God. And in fact, that God is trustworthy, that He is good, that He is for us, not against us. He wants what is best for us. And He has a plan, and it's actually a redemptive plan. And even in the midst of suffering, God is working out that redemptive plan. We start to develop this trust of Him, and then we act based on that trust. We discover we are living by faith. 
At this point, there is a line billions of people long who have lived by faith. And you and I do well to find at least a few people further up in that line than us so that they might be our mentors or our guides or our examples of what it means to live by faith. At the same time, there are people behind us in this line, and they, some of them, with whether we know it or not, look to us as their example, their guide of what it means to live by faith, what it means to follow Jesus. And as a church, we always want to make uh, room in our lives to turn back and help people, help people who are new to their faith, help people who are investigating faith, help people who are struggling in their faith, turn back and, and be helpful to people learning how to follow or relearning how to follow Jesus. Today, I want to look at um, an example of living by faith. I want us to look further up in this line at, at the example of someone, and, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, which says this, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Some translations will say unbelieving. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, were not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, if you have ever felt unqualified to live by faith, I have good news for you. The, the, the main person we are looking at today as an exemplar of living by faith, this is in the Bible, people, is referred to as, and I quote, the prostitute Rahab, unquote. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the passage that we heard earlier that Amy read. We're going to walk through the passage, and then I'm going to point out a couple things that we could learn from Rahab of how to live by faith. So walk through the passage and make a couple kind of observations for us out of that. All right? That's the plan. Let's try it. This is from Joshua chapter 2. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So we need a little bit of backstory. God's people, the Israelites, they are enslaved in Egypt. There is a leader who arises among them named Moses. Moses leads the people out of slavery. God parts the Red Sea. You may have heard an excellent sermon on this topic over the last few weeks. They go through uh, the Red Sea. They are saved from slavery in Egypt. God, has, uh, God is taking them to a land that He has promised to give them. This land is creatively named the Promised Land. So they're going towards the Promised Land, but they don't go right there. It actually takes them 40 years to get there. For 40 years, they kind of wander in the desert trying to get to the Promised Land. During that wandering, Moses dies and a new leader emerges who is named Joshua. So that kind of gets us to where we are. Joshua's calling is to, lead God, is to lead God's people into the promised land. The one problem is that it is already inhabited by a bunch of people, and they are hostile towards the Israelites. And so what Joshua decides to do is he's going to send two spies into the promised land, to investigate, especially go to Jericho, that's like the major metropolitan area of the promised land, go and investigate, see what the reality on the ground is. Now, would you want to be one of those two spies? No. This is a very dangerous situation because, because, because of their ethnicity. They will look different. They will stand out. They will talk differently. So you can't hide anywhere, and a lot of people are going to be hostile towards you. 
All right. Ver nope, i got to finish talking about verse 1. So what happens is they, they come and are welcomed in the home of this person the Bible refers to as a prostitute named Rahab. Now, there are actually two Hebrew words uh, for prostitute. That may be more than you wanted to know, but uh, one of them refers to like a temple or cult uh, prostitute. The other would refer to what you and I think of when we hear the term. And the second one is the one used to describe Rahab. So when we hear the term that Rahab, how she makes her living, that's similar to how you and I think of it. She owns a house. Now that's un unusual because women in this day and time in this culture usually did not own property. What kind of house is this that Rahab owns? Well, not to make you blush or anything, but likely what history would tell us is she's operating an inn, and there are rooms in this inn that serve two different purposes. Some of the rooms are for sleeping, and some of the rooms are for not sleeping. And this is what Rahab does. This is how she makes her living. Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So in case you've forgotten, the spies are in a really dangerous situation. They're in a hostile environment. They have found a safe place to stay in Rahab's inn, but word travels fast. And now the king is telling Rahab, turn over the two men to me. Now what would you do if you were Rahab? I mean, the king's order is final. Verse 4. The woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up to them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So at least the first time I, I read this, maybe you're the same way, I did not see this coming. Rahab, uh, out of fear for these men's lives, hides them. She hides them on her roof under some stalks of flax. Now, flax is not just what your kids give you. Flax is actually, I didn't know how that would land. It, it did okay. It did okay. Flax is a plant. It can grow three to four feet uh, tall, and you use it to make linen. You use it like to make clothing and, and, and sheets and that kind of thing in this time. So why does Rahab have enough flax on her roof to hide two grown men? We do not know. There's many theories, but we're not totally sure. So she goes and hides the men, and then, and there's sort of no getting around this, she just outright lies to the king's guys. And she sends them on a wild goose chase. I don't think the Bible is commending falsehood, but I do think the Bible is trying to give us a sense of who Rahab is. Both her strengths and her weaknesses. Just because the Bible commends someone doesn't mean that everything they do is commendable, right? That's still true today. Just because someone is commended doesn't mean that everything they do is commendable. Rahab had her problems. Rahab had areas for growth. But at the same time, she's also enshrined in Hebrews chapter 11 as someone who lived by faith, who out of her faith welcomed and saved these spies. Why did she do it? Why did she save the spies? 
Because often living by faith is about the why. Why are we doing the things that we do? Why did she save the spies? We actually learn in verse 9. Rahab says this, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So why does Rahab protect the spies? She says that we, the people in Jericho, we have heard about some of your military victories. We know how God split the Red Sea for y'all. Not sure that she said y'all, but we know how God split the Red Sea for y'all to save you out of Egypt. And as we've heard this, we all kind of realize we're next. We kind of realize that this land where we live is going to be your home. And a lot of people think we should be trying to stop you, but I don't think that. Because I think your God is the God with the capital G, the King with the capital K over all creation. So I don't want to stand in the way of what your God is doing. I actually want to be part of what your God is doing. In other words, Rahab protected the spies because she realized she wanted to be on God's side. To, to someone who, who knew very little about God, to someone who was not inundated in a, in a God, God thing culture, she, she realized she, based on what little she knew, she wanted to be on God's side. And so she protected these spies. Her faith began at a deep desire to be on God's side. And then she had the ability to act on it when the king said, give me those men. Rahab went on to help the spies escape from Jericho, and her only said, she said, just promise me if there's a battle that you'll save me and my family, which they honored. They actually did that. In fact, we learn in the book of Joshua that when the book of Joshua was written, Rahab was still alive and was living with the Israelites, living with God's people, that she and her family had gotten woven together like stalks of flax. She and her family had gotten woven together into God's family. There are any number of lessons we can learn from Rahab and how she lived by faith. What I think is most interesting about how she lived by faith is that she lived by faith in a really difficult situation. Some of us may be in the middle of a difficult situation today. If you're not, just hold on. Don't worry. You will be soon enough. And Rahab shows us how we might live by faith in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a difficult situation. So any number of things I could draw from that, but let's learn two things from Rahab. How do we live by faith in a difficult situation? Number one, number one, number, 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 number one, act on what God is doing and what God desires to the extent you see it clearly. To the extent you see it clearly, act on what God is doing and act on what God desires. Because the interesting thing is everybody in Jericho kind of knew that God was protecting this small little group of people and that they were coming towards the land where they lived, so they kind of saw how this was going to play out. What was different is what people did with that information. 
Most people in Jericho, when they were afraid, they decided to be defensive. They decided to try to stand in the way of what God was doing. Rahab was different. different. When Rahab was afraid, Rahab decided to seek out God. When Rahab was afraid, Rahab decided to protect God's people. So she started to line up her desires and her actions with God's desires and God's actions. To the extent she saw God's desires and God's actions clearly, she tried to line up her desires and her actions with it. Now, you and I have a huge advantage over Rahab. Rahab knew two stories out of the Bible. They hadn't recorded them yet, you know, but she knew two of the. I guess they'd recorded some of them, but she knew two of them. She had heard them. We have like the whole Bible. We, we have account after account from across millennia that tell us who God is and what God desires. And when we read the Bible, the Bible is not just for information. In fact, when you read the Bible, you will learn information, but generally people don't stop reading the Bible and go, well, isn't that nice? The Bible is not just information. The Bible also encourages us to act on the information that we have learned so that as we um, are reading the Bible on our own or being taught the Bible or studying the Bible, as we learn more about who God is, what God is doing, what God desires, you and I have the ability to not just hear it, but act on it. Rahab's life, as Rahab is our guide further up in the line, Rahab's life would say, don't just think about acting, act. Don't just have faith, live by faith. The Bible can teach us all kinds of things. Like, what does God think of you? What does God think of me? How would God have us treat one another? How does God view your purpose in life? How does God view your time or your money or the habits that you or I have? What does God think about all these things? The Bible begins to help us answer some of these questions. But answering the question is not the the end. This isn't jeopardy. It's not just answering the question. It's beginning to act on the answer that we're learning. So that's number one. Number two, number two, number, number, number two. How might we live by faith in a tough situation? Number two, the past is full of reasons for you and me to live by faith. Rahab's life teaches us that the past is full of reasons for you and me to live by faith. Because why did Rahab live by faith? Well, she referenced the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. That was a big thing. Yeah, she probably read about it, you know, knew about whatever. Then you start to do the math. The parting of the Red Sea was 40 to 50 years before she welcomed the spies. We also know that when she welcomed the spies, her parents were still alive. So this gives you a sense of how old Rahab is. Her parents are still alive. In other words, when when God parted the Red Sea, Rahab was either a child or not born at all. When God parted the Red Sea, Rahab was either a child or not even born at all. So when Rahab talks about how important the parting of the Red Sea is in her life, She's not talking about something she has any memory of. She's not talking about something out of her past. She's talking about something out of the past. This miraculous thing that God did years ago and hundreds of miles away, and I heard about it growing up. Rahab changed how she lived in the present 
because of what she learned about the past. Now, the truth is the Bible is full of these kind of accounts where we can figure out how to live in the present because of what God's done in the past. History is full of these kind of accounts. How can we live in the present based on what God has done in the past? Maybe your family history has these kind of accounts where years ago and half a world away, God did something amazing in the life of somebody or the life of somebody's. And God does not change. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since God has not changed and God did amazing things in the past, God will still do amazing things in the lives of people here and now. God can do amazing things in your life. And sometimes our circumstances don't make that obvious to us. And it's looking to the past where we see who God truly is. One of the most beautiful things God has done in the past and still does today is that God is doing redemptive work in unlikely places and in unlikely people. If you want to see a clear example of what God has done in the past, God does redemptive work in unlikely places and in unlikely people. You want to know what my example of this is? Rahab. She makes her living the way that she does. She lives in a, a very godless culture. She hears two stories, <laughs> one of which is a military victory and one of which is a miracle about God and God's people. And because of that, she wants to live by faith. And we get to watch her and her entire family get woven together into God's family. How much did Rahab get woven into God's family? This is Matthew chapter 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Ezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab. These are like the parts of the Bible you skip over, right? Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Samon, Samon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You see the family Jesus is weaving together? Jesus did not put Rahab on the periphery of God's family. Jesus wanted Rahab in his family tree. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed to weave you and your family into His family. Jesus came out of eternity to live and to die and to resurrect, to make room in God's family for you. And in the moments when you doubt the radical love of God, Jesus. In the moments where your situation makes it difficult to see the radical love of Jesus, you can look to the past and see it in the life of a woman named Tamar and a woman named Rahab. And I'll keep going through, uh, but you don't want me to read the whole Matthew 1 passage. There are all these people throughout the Old Testament and throughout New Testament and throughout history and throughout even today where God has done unlikely work in unlikely people in unlikely places. 
And so when it's hard for you and me to see the radical love of Jesus, remember Rahab. Rahab decided to get on God's side only to discover that he had already been weaving her into his family all along. The question I would have for you would be this as I wrap up. How can you better live by faith based on the example of Rahab? How can you, how can I better live by faith based on the example of Rahab? For instance, she acted on what God was doing and what God desired. She let God's work in the past strengthen her confidence in God today. She joined in God's work. She didn't stand in the way of God's work. She let God weave her and her entire family into His family. Ultimately, she celebrated that God does unlikely redemptive work in even a life like hers. What can you and I learn from Rahab of what it means to live by faith? Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God or to listen to God about whatever it is He's uh, stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take this quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I pray for those in our congregation today who are really going through a difficult time, a difficult day or week or month or year. Lord, sometimes in the midst of that, it becomes so difficult to see your goodness. Walking by faith seems almost impossible sometimes. Trusting you and acting on it seems almost impossible sometimes. So Lord, I thank you that you've given us examples and guides. I thank you that faith is unseen, but that doesn't mean it's blind. So, Lord, I do pray that in our own pasts or in the pasts of our family or the pasts of your people throughout history and the pages of the Old and New Testament, we will find people that give us hope that we too can follow Jesus. Lord, I pray for those of us who feel that you would be ashamed of us, or that you would try to strike this building with lightning because we're here. Lord, I pray we get in the line behind Rahab, knowing that if you have worked her into your family, and not on the periphery, but right in the thick, the midst of your family tree, surely you can work in our lives as well. 
I pray when we turn to you, we would realize your arms are open wide and we would not run away. Instead, we would walk to you and follow Jesus all the way home. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.